welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. How's everyone doing? There we go. All right. All right. If you could like rate yourself at a 10, like in terms of your like mental or physical condition, like just throw numbers out at me. Six, seven, ten. Ten? Sorry. Eight? I heard a nine. Oh, man. I was saying before the service, I was talking with a friend and he, I, oh, dear. This is going to be bad news. I said it was like a strong six, low seven out of ten. Which is like not bad for like pre-sermon jitters. So, and then I was thinking about the old adage about you tell like a joke or a funny story to start. And this is really funny to me. My wife won't be super pumped about this. (laughs) So, I may be like a low three, high two after the service. We'll find out. (laughs) But, or not at all. (laughs) Yeah. Local pastor gone missing. Um, Yeah. There was this really great moment. This goes back a few, a few months ago. We've got several cats in our house, and they love to jump on the table and just do whatever cats do. They sleep or eat or whatever. And um, we hate it when they do that. And I guess my wife was exceptionally frustrated, and so she like, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't tell this story. <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> So she like, I don't know, she, she said some words and like just kind of swept the cat off the table, like right into Shire's face. <laughs> so she had like, Shire had like three claw marks across the side of her face. <laughs> yeah, that's not related to the sermon at all, just is more to like get me like. <laughs> oh man. Well guys, it's really good to be together. I think this is the first time I've actually preached at this location. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at New Life Fellowship. Welcome to everybody who's here and to everyone online. Camera, just, I don't know which camera to go to, but I'll just look at all of them. Um, That one, perfect. Welcome to everyone online. Glad you're here. Um, I have been like sitting on this specific passage for uh, probably about a month or so, and I didn't really understand that like this was going to be the sermon for today. Um, and it, the, the, the phrase first came to my brain just like right around Christmas time, and it's, um, it's a really common passage, especially around, around Christmas, and it's actually from Isaiah, and it says, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, deep darkness, on them a light has shone. This is, again, you've probably heard that passage before. It's Prophet Isaiah speaking to the, the, the Jewish people, who at the time were actually split into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, of, which is ten tribes, and that was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was, was called Judah. Um, and he was prophesying, saying, you know, there's a, we're, we're in a time of great darkness, there's a, enormous political pressure, there's instability, there's upheaval. And Isaiah is saying, you're dwelling in darkness, you're walking in darkness, but a great light is coming. And he goes on to kind of describe and then kind of unpack that message a little more. And, um, and then this is like the, probably the most common part of this passage. It's verse 6, 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Again, there's like some amazing art, some amazing music that's been created um, around this passage, and it's such an incredible um, kind of powerhouse kind of series of verses. I guess the whole Bible is that technically, but like this, <laughs> this passage for me specifically has been like very, very life-giving. And especially this past week has been like kind of like living in it and kind of marinating in it. It's, it's been really, really powerful. Um, before we jump in, I'm going to pray. And then I'll probably just read from top to bottom, verses one to seven, uh, and then we'll dive in. So, Father, it's super obvious to me that you got something special going on this morning just from um, the worship and the incredible offering of praise that you've received this morning so far already, but even just like the message and the journey of worship and how it just nests so completely perfectly with the things that I've been working on this past couple weeks, it's, it's been really awesome. And it's special, Jesus, to be up here with you and uh, to be sharing this with my friends and God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue just to do that great work that it's already started. And thank you that we're on a journey together and you're leading us and um, we can rely and we can trust on you, trust in you, so. Actually, I'm gonna change things up. I'm not gonna read the whole thing because it's gonna take too long <laughs> and I need every minute I can. I can. So um, I spent a lot of time like going through verse by verse these, this passage of seven chapter, or seven verses, uh, Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. And I had all this stuff planned out and it just felt kind of dry and I just didn't, I wasn't interested or excited, excited by it. Uh, I was also extremely tired at the time, so maybe that's what it was. So for a second, I just put it to the side and I said, God, like, I just had these thoughts just started to bubble up. And so I wrote them down. Usually what if I write something and then read it in front of people, I edit it and I'll read it to a bunch of people to make sure it's good. I've done none of those things. So, amen, amen. there we go, there we go. <laughs> so I titled this little, just this one page, What My Heart Is Saying. This chapter, Isaiah 9, contains vivid, powerful imagery, clear statements of Jesus' identity, who Jesus is, what he does, and who he is for. It's for any of you without hope today. This chapter is also for any of you feeling the weight of the world, pulling at their heart and constricting their soul. In a time of upheaval and frustration, God has provided for us Jesus. He is our prize, our secret weapon, our excellent defense. He is our very good reason for hope. He is our nourishment. He is the beating heart of this church. He is a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He is our Prince of Peace. He is our everlasting Father. He governs us. His kingdom of the heart cannot be defeated, minimized, or marginalized. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is present everywhere. You cannot find a place beyond his awareness. You cannot hold a secret too dark or too loathsome for him to carry on his broad shoulders. You cannot find a condition of the heart too far a stretch for his great might. Jesus cradled the heart's and desires of every member of humanity. He carried them with utmost care to the cross. With his own pain, agony, blood, and death, Jesus purchased the full and perfect completion of you. Your quirks, your weirdnesses, your unspoken desires, your forgotten dreams. 
He holds each piece of your broken heart in his palms. He is your perfect solution. Your path is dark. You can't see one foot in front of the next. And with each new step, you pray you find solid ground beneath your feet. You live in deep darkness, in confusion, frustration, angst, loss, blindness. You live each day in conflict, taking and giving wounds. Your feet are tired, bone and battle weary. Exhaustion settles around you like a heavy cloak. But if you tilt your head and you squint your eyes, you can see a glimmer of light on the horizon, a point of hope growing from a pinprick into a blaze with a cross silhouetted in the midst. You can feel glowing warmth on clammy skin. It's Jesus, your wonderful counselor. Jesus, your mighty God. Jesus, your everlasting father. Jesus, your prince of peace. Isaiah 9 verse 1 opens up, kind of throws out some strange Old Testament biblical names. <clears throat> there is no gloom for her who was in anguish. In former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Like, as I kind of mentioned earlier, the prophet Isaiah, who wrote this section of scripture, um, he was active in his ministry during a very dangerous time. Um, the northern kingdom, Israel, had been chipped away at by several surrounding nations who were all extremely hostile. And uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, which is where um, Isaiah ended up directing a lot of, his, a lot of this book, um, was sort of watching as, as their neighbor to the north was kind of getting smaller and less and less powerful. And as the surrounding nations are putting increasing pressure on, on Judah. And the king of Judah was desperate to find some sense of security, to find some sense of stability. And what Isaiah was desperately trying to get across was that there's no other country that could provide the security and the strength and protection that God could. And that's one of the, uh, the kind of underpinnings of this whole, this whole chapter. And what Isaiah is beginning to, to unpack here in verse 1 is he's saying, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, those are two of the northern tribes. And so people hearing this would have immediately understood he's talking about the, the northern kingdom. Um, and then he also talks to the land beyond Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. Um, Isaiah is talking about how, yes, there's been like really difficult, painful things we're going through, painful, horrible things have happened in the past, but the future is good. Then he moves on into verse two, and he begins to talk about why we can have hope. He begins to des describe a little more clearly what the day-to-day -day experience of people who are, you know, his contemporaries are like. He talks about people who are walking in darkness. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Walking in darkness, it's an interesting thing. It's like as I kind of like dug into some of like the root words, which is a really, by the way, a really cool thing to kind of like add to your personal devotions. If you just Google like interlinear Bible and like one of the top couple options that you find, you'll actually be able to see like the, it shows you like a, a word by word translation of like any part of scripture. And what that does is like, it kind of lets you go in and see, okay, this root word for um, walking it's like, here are some of the other ways this word is used. And the thing is, it's, it's a walking, but it's not wandering. 
It's a walking, it's like a moving with purpose. It's like you're looking for something or you're traveling from one point to another point. And if your experience is that it's dark, it's gloomy, it's confusing, that's, that's who this is for. The interesting also is the second half of the verse is those who dwell in a land of deep darkness. And maybe you don't feel like you're moving from one place to another. Maybe you're not searching for something. Maybe you don't have a reason to search for something. Maybe it feels like you're stuck. You're, you're hopeless. You're, you're living in deep darkness. There's a great promise for whether you're in one, one camp or the other. If you're wandering, you will see a great light. Sorry, if you're, if, you're, if you're walking, you will see a great light. But if you're living in darkness, the light will find you. There's hope for wherever you're at. The light is inevitable. Verse 3 says... You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. It's interesting, the multiply or increasing, you know, I, my, my brain right away goes to, I don't know what, what grade I was in, learning multiplication last week maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but it, it doesn't mean like actually physically multiplying it means a, a, there's a sense of maturing and a sense of increasing it and em, emerging almost into like this fulfillness, uh, fulfillness. I'm inventing words into like a sense of fulfillment uh, and, and, and uh, perfection. Um, and that's, that's what God is at work in. He's at work in bringing each one of us into like the full expression of our, of our full selves. Um, and that is going to result in a massive increase in joy, and that's going to bring a special type of rejoicing, a special type of celebration. Um, it talks about rejoicing um, like with joy at the harvest, and also as people are glad when they divide the spoils. Those are two things I have to admit I don't have any personal, um, I was going to say I don't have any personal experience with. I don't, I don't know if like eating the leftovers after my kids are done, if that counts as dividing the spoils, probably not. That's definitely not what Isaiah was talking about. <laughs> Rejoicing with the harvest. Um, most of uh, the, you know, the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation Isaiah was talking to, they would have been agrarian, and they spent their entire year building up towards harvest time. They spend months and months tilling the hard ground, planting, like putting little seeds in, um, they spend months and months tending for these, these, like, their fields, caring for them, defending them from animals or birds or whatever. Um, and then finally, at the end of the year, all of like, the, the months and months of backbreaking sweat and toil come to a point where there's a harvest. And the amount of joy that would be present in that kind of a culture at the, at the culmination of so much hard work is just powerful. And you've all experienced something kind of like that. Maybe, maybe you're not a farmer, but maybe you've worked really, really, really hard for a specific goal, or you've worked really, really, really hard to get to a certain place, you get to a specific outcome. And like, there's a sense of fulfillment that comes with that. And what God is promising here is that there is going to be an incredible, um, incredible reward as a result of the very, very hard work of trusting in him day by day of taking the next step day by day. There's also an amazing feeling that comes when you win something. I feel this every day. I'm a winner. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed, because like, I don't want to come across the wrong way. <laughs> 
I, uh, I used to think I wasn't competitive, but I actually am really competitive so much so I'd prefer not to get in any con competition in case I lose. So you can't lose if you don't fight. So I've got a pretty good record. <laughs> I'm like three in one. Like I've had like four competitions in my whole life. That's not entirely true. Um, but talking about dividing the spoils, this is a very different type of experience than spending months and months and months working the land to bring a harvest. This dividing the spoils, that comes after an intense victory um, in battle. And that's when there is an enormous pile of treasure that you didn't earn, you didn't build, you didn't create, but you've won it. And usually it's not you won it, usually it's the army that you are part of won it. And to me, what this speaks of is as believers in Jesus, as, um, as part of the body of Christ, we have won, but it's not because of my specific effort. It's not because of Ryan's specific effort. Although, Ryan, you can put a pile of effort into stuff and do great things, which is wonderful. Um, it's because of what Jesus did. And we get to divide the spoils of that. And the crazy thing is actually a weird, probably Jesus math, where everybody gets everything. And that makes sense for some reason. Um, the only thing I could think of that maybe might like, like resonate with me personally is like if there was like this huge enormous mansion that was like totally filled with amazing things and, and someone's like, hey, we're gonna tear this mansion down. You can just go in and just pull anything you want out of it. And you go in, it's like amazing treasures and stuff and you can just have it for free. Like that kind of feeling of excitement. I'm a materialistic person apparently. <laughs> that feeling of excitement, like that's, like that amped up, multiplied by an infinity is, is, what, is what Isaiah is talking about. This is on the horizon. This is something that's coming. Verse four, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. People hearing this would have understood immediately what Isaiah was talking about. You know, talking about the weight of responsibility that's around us, around our shoulders. You know, um, if you have a field and you don't have any oxen or mules to pull your plow, guess what? The man of the house puts the, puts the yoke on his own shoulders and he walks and he pulls the plow. That's an, an enormous weight, a physical weight, but also knowing that it's up to my effort to make sure that I get this field done so my family doesn't starve through the winter. A staff across the shoulders, Wade um, kind of talks about, you imagine like a thick kind of staff across your shoulders, like with maybe the big baskets on the end for holding like huge, huge boulders. You're trying to like clear the boulders out of your field. Maybe you're carrying water for the day. Um, that's an enormous heavy weight across your shoulders. <coughs> the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. This is likely in reference to uh, Gideon, the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. He's one of the Old Testament um, judges. And um, he followed God's really strange, kind of obtuse directions and ended up experiencing a massive victory over an army that was just enormous. Um, and in the same way that we might reference D-Day or the same way we might, re we might reference Vimy Ridge, like um, you know, armed conflicts that really kind of had a defining sort of impact on us as a nation, that's what Midian was. That's what the day of Midian is referring to, is like this time when we as a nation, the Israelite nation, chose to trust God 
And we did the opposite thing. We got a smaller army instead of a bigger army. And as a result of doing that, <coughs> trusting God with less, that resulted in a massive, massive victory. And that's what, that's what Isaiah is doing. He's pointing, he's like, this is our DNA. Our DNA is trusting God this way. Not going to other nations, not going to your other sources of strength, whether it's pouring more and more energy into my business or, or trying to diversify my, the types of income I might have or kind of like obsessing over the stock market and like making, making trades. And you know, those things are necessarily bad, but if I'm putting my hope and my focus for the future on those things, then I'm not trusting God. I'm not trusting God. And what Isaiah is pointing at here is that God's going to break all of those different things. And these things that weigh us down and these things that upon which our success from, a, from a, uh, mankind's eyes, from the world's eyes, our success depends on the yoke of my shoulders. It depends on the staff on my shoulders. But God's going to break that because that's the DNA of what it means to trust Jesus. Chapter 5, or sorry, not chapter 5, verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, make sure I've got the right, good, got the right uh, the verse, version here. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is one verse I was like, I should probably just like skim over that. Just don't touch on that too much because it's sort of like, I don't really, uh, it kind of makes me feel a little sort of sweaty and gross. I don't really know why. Um, but as I kind of spent some more time and I kind of saw this verse through some, some eyes I wasn't really expecting. So, I think about um, being in battle. I think about being in conflict. I think about trying to get to, a, to achieve something and there's an opposing force that's actively fighting against me. Boots are an incredibly important part of the deal. Boots represent stability. They represent kind of being able to be grounded. Boots represent mobility, being able to move with confidence and with security. And what Isaiah is saying is that the boots of the warrior are gonna be burned. It's also the boots of the tramping warrior, and that the, the usage there is uh, a warrior that's part of a very fierce, loud, noisy, chaotic battleground, which really feels pretty close to home for some of us. The bloodied, or every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. I was talking about your, um, you know, if you've got a cloak, maybe it represents your warmth and security, or um, a military uniform. Maybe you align yourself with a specific political perspective. Maybe you align yourself with a specific stance on vaccinations. Maybe, you, however you choose to align yourself, that garment, you know, that's, that's bloody. Maybe it's your blood. <coughs> Maybe you've received wounds today. Maybe you've given wounds. But all those things be rolled up and thrown into the fire to be used to burn. It's interesting that the, a lot of the other usages of the word for fire there actually are used in, in ways like uh, use it as a torch fire, like a torch fire, or a cooking fire, or a baking fire, and also in, as a, the pillar of fire in the Old Testament. And I found it interesting that these things, these, like, these important parts of a soldier's kit are going to be used for things like burning for fuel and burning for food and burning to cook food and cooking for light and burning for protection. All of these items, these things that I, I, I come to rely on in order to make my way through the chaotic battle that we live in today. So those are the things that the Holy Spirit is going to burn and actually, and he's going to actually redeem those things 
for my benefit and for my good. But I've got to be willing to throw those things in the fire. And I tell you, when you are facing assailants, the last thing you want is to get rid of your protection. But again, what that prophet Isaiah is saying is like, that's actually not protection. The things you're getting rid of, like when you choose to risk trusting God at the expense of your specific tools, your specific kind of approach to protecting yourself and making your way through, that's, that's the DNA of our spiritual culture. Like that's what, our, that's what being a believer in Jesus is all about. It's being a follower of Jesus. You're choosing those things at the expense of these things. You can't do both. It's one or the other. Ooh, I was close. I thought I forgot a page. Ooh. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what kind of joy and gladness this is, uh, but it's, it's joy and gladness. Um, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, we think about all the different things stacked up against each one of us today. And it's easy, again, to look at, like, the, 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 the worldly things. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you're a fan of the government and you're frustrated by... Um, other people in, uh, you know, other people, other, other citizens. Maybe you're frustrated with the government you're frust and you're also frustrated with other citizens. Um, maybe you're frustrated with your workplace. Maybe you're frustrated with Health Canada. Maybe you're frustrated or angry at fill in the blank. Those things aren't actually what we're fighting. You know, scripture says that we don't fight against uh, flesh and blood. You know, our enemies are the principalities and, the, and powers of darkness. And behind every threat that you see is actually sin, the flesh, indwelling sin. It's, you know, our enemy is those things. And it's pointing at specific things saying, you're in danger, look out for that. In fact, you see that, you should probably prepare in case that thing happens. And laced in that temptation is Jesus isn't going to be enough for you. So you better figure a way to protect yourself. That's what we're fighting against here. And it's interesting as, you know, does the enemy kind of like stacks up, makes this, this, the, 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 the stakes higher and higher and higher. Um, and as the enemy like stacks up its biggest, heaviest guns, what is God's response? A child is born. A son is given. A baby. I just... <laughs> seems sort of underwhelming, if I'm honest with myself. But then it goes to unpack about, like, what this baby is. And in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, the name a person was given was so important because it was identity. And this is one of the things that I've spent the most time on this week, is thinking about how is Jesus being named here? Because that has everything to do with my expectations of him today. It's like, these are how God said, this is Jesus' identity. That's what he's saying out here. The government shall be upon his shoulder. For people listening at the time to Isaiah speaking, they would have immediately gone to political government. 
Um, and that's why so many of the, the, so much of the Jewish nation missed Jesus as the Messiah, because they were looking for a political Messiah. They're looking for someone to come in and change the landscape of the day. But that's not what Jesus was. Jesus brought a new kingdom of the heart, and that's what he is for us today. So the government is resting on Jesus' shoulders. And what that means for me, what that means for us, is it's the government of our hearts. Jesus is responsible for the care, for the protection, um, for the sustenance of our hearts in the midst of a world that's getting darker and more chaotic and crazier and more unbelievable every day. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, the word wonderful is a word that I throw out to, talk, to describe let me get my kids right here, to describe my kids' art. And not that it's not wonderful, but it's just this, this, it's just this word that doesn't really, like, it doesn't feel vivid. It's like used so much. The, the root word here is, uh, is talking about miracles, the miraculous, wonderful, full of, of wonders that, that, that can't be explained by science or physics or anything like that. Miraculous, amazing feats, amazing acts. And a counselor is a strategist, an advisor, like someone who's experienced in this area, someone who's like very knowledgeable, very insightful. And that's what Jesus is for each one of us. He is capable of incredible, miraculous acts, and he knows everything about your situation. He is a mighty God. He's heroic. He's a champion. He's outstanding. He's valiant. He's a warrior. He's the everlasting father. It's personal. He's intimate. That word for father, the Abba, is a very personal, kind of like intimate uh, name of affection between a father and a child. It's like, you know, they share a closeness. Everlasting sense of perpetuity that never changes, never ends. He never dies. He never goes away. He never becomes estranged. You know, um, all of us have fathers and all of us have daddy baggage. All of us do. Some are worse than others. Some are better than others. But all of us had an imperfect father. And so it's kind of hard to grasp like what the perfect father actually would be like. But that's what Jesus is like. And he will show you what a perfect father is like. He's a prince of peace. He's a commander, the chief, the captain. He's someone with the authority and the capability to carry out their charge. The peace, that word is shalom. We've, you know, Pastor Ross has talked about that before. The sense of completion, a sense of welfare, um, success, you know, prosperity, security. All of these things, so like powerful if you really get to think about it. And that's what Jesus wants to be. And that's what Jesus is. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Verse 7, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's raging passion for us is the thing that's going to make all this take place. It's not my effort. It's not my energy. It's not our effort. It's not our ability as a community that's going to make this happen. It's, it's God. 
It's the same, the same passion that drove Jesus to the cross, that led Jesus to the cross. That's, that's the lifeblood of this promise right here. The government will increase. His government over our hearts. It will spread and it will increase and nothing can stop it. You know, I think, I think like what's the worst case scenario? And for people who know me, my brain automatically goes to me being in prison. I'm terrified of prison. I don't have any good reason. I don't think I have any good reason to ever be thrown in jail. But I'm always wondering, like, maybe there is one. I just don't know about it. <laughs> worst case scenario, you know, we think about like, uh, we think about persecution. And, you know, the, the worst persecution I can think of, you know, um, Actually, maybe this is one of the reasons I'm terrified of prison. I remember coming across the book, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody heard of that book before? I think I was maybe 12, probably too early to read it. Um, but the Fox's Book of Martyrs is the story of Christians who lost their life for Jesus. And it kind of, at a really young age, comparatively, it gave me a real sense of what the stakes are. You know, and, and this our, our culture is... You know, there's not nearly as much like physical threat today as there as there has been in you know in ages and centuries past. That's not really what I'm facing today, but that doesn't mean it's not what I'm facing today. I've struggled with um, the story of Job in the in the in the um, in the Old Testament, and I've struggled with the fear that one day something crazy is going to happen and my my family is going to be killed and gone. I'm going to be all alone, you know? And it's one of those things where it's easy to sort of like push that fear away. It's easy to sometimes even to joke about it, but that doesn't mean it's, it's not legit. It doesn't mean something I'm actually not terrified of deep down. But at the end of the day, I have a choice to make. It's like, will I allow Jesus to be who he is or not? You know, he is the wonderful counselor. Will I trust his guidance enough to obey him? And obey is a word that in a lot of like new covenant grace teaching that's out there, people don't use that word very much anymore. But, but it's an important part of, of our lives as Christians. Like, it's obedience. And it's not obedience out of fear. It's not obedience for the purpose of acceptance because we're already accepted. Nothing can change that. My disobedience doesn't suddenly mean I'm kicked out of the fold. I'm no longer a sheep. I'm no longer, a, no longer saved. No, that's not it at all. Like, I choose to obey because that's what it means to trust. It feels like a gamble a lot of times. For some, for some reason, that word, like, drives it home a little bit more because it, it doesn't feel like a sure thing. You know, it doesn't feel like a sure thing to, to take this step that I believe God is asking me to when doing that means, well, there's an income gap here, Jesus. <laughs> so you're telling me just to ignore that, to do the thing that maybe isn't financially you know, wise, to do the thing that everyone else might say is, is, is not smart, um, but that's what you're asking me to do? Well, that's obedience. When you choose to step into that, you choose to obey. He is the mighty God. Will you refuse to respond to the threats that are facing you? And instead, lift your eyes above them to Jesus. He is the everlasting Father. Will you choose him as your source for life and sustenance rather than defaulting to that grab bag that you have of 
you know, tricks and tactics that you've maybe acquired over the years, little ways to get people to agree with you or little ways to, you know, help yourself feel better in the moment or, those, you know, those, those little habits that maybe they're not that bad, but they're, you know, will you default to those things or we look to Jesus as your father, to Jesus as your source? He is your prince of peace. Will you turn to him? Will you turn to him instead of your, you know, your news commentaries, your, you know, your other sort of preparations that maybe you, you're making just in case? We, will you begin to test his identity? Will you begin taking a risk on him? Because what I'm experiencing, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I believe this 100%. My behavior may not back that statement up, but what I believe is I think that I've discovered that there is a link, like a thick, heavy black line between obeying Jesus and experiencing Jesus. Now, what I'm not saying is that obedience is acceptance, but Jesus is offering an, a change to your experience, a change to your day-to-day, -day, not by changing the circumstances. He's offering a change that comes when you choose to obey, when you choose to say, this is who you said you are, that is who you are, and I'm going to choose to risk with my actions, with the assumption on the foundation that that is true. Even though I don't feel it, even though I don't see it, I'll choose to obey. I think about like just the incredible worship today. You know, <laughs> You could like listen to the recording of that, or we, we could have the musicians play this set 10,000 times. And that would be pretty great for me. I mean, the musicians would probably pass out at some point, but like <laughs> listening to those worship songs 10,000 times doesn't have the same impact that a single act of obedience, of risking action. Doesn't have the same effect. <laughs> this has been a pretty rad sermon. You could listen to it a thousand times. But that, all the greatness of that, or of any great sermon, that new life, or any sermon that's ever, the best sermon, like you can, you can listen to, to Jesus himself speak, and that would not be as impactful as choosing to trust him with an action and choosing to trust him with a step. And what I really believe is that the fulfillment of today, the fulfillment of like the incredible worship that, that Joy and the team did. The, the fulfillment of, of this sermon, the fulfillment of all the things that God's been working in all of us together this past week. The fulfillment of that is saying, God, this is who you say you are. You're the wonderful counselor. You're my mighty God, my everlasting father. You're my prince of peace. And I'm gonna choose to make steps. I'm gonna choose to obey you, even though everything around me is screaming at me that that's the dumbest thing to do. I'm gonna choose to take that next step. At the end of the day, responsibility for our growth, responsibility for our care, for our sustenance, for our provision, it's on his shoulder. To be a follower of Jesus, to be one of his inner circle, it means choosing him day in, day out. And that's something we get to do together. We get to experience that together. We get to help each other, pick each other up when we fall, when we come short, and that's what that's about. That's what's been on my heart this week. And um, it's been tough. It's been, a, it's been quite a journey for sure. This, this last 
since, since Christmas, I think. It's probably been one of the toughest months maybe that our family's been through. Um, Sarah got COVID on like the 22nd of December and probably for six or seven days. She was in bed, like sleeping 20 plus hours a week and congestion and headaches and all those things. <laughs> to make it about me, I had to be a parent all by myself for that time. <laughs> I, also, I also had a really, well, I had an anxiety attack for the first time in that period. And I've never had one, a full one before, but I've had, I never had the language to describe it. I can look back at my life and see I've had little things like that as a kid, but I just didn't really know how to like talk about it or anything. That really shook me. <laughs> that really threw me off. Um, everything going on with, with um, just COVID and like, again, this is nothing new. You guys have heard all this before. You're experiencing it. What I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that this is a message that God gave me for me and for all of us. And what obedience looks like for you, I don't know for sure. Um, as an elder, I'd, I'd be happy to talk to you and to like try to help you maybe hear God or kind of understand what he's saying. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about that. I know the other elders would for sure also, but um, the reality is for all of us who are living in darkness, there's a bright light. And the amazing thing is, is that the bright light is like here now. We're not waiting for it to come. Like this is a prophecy that's been fulfilled. This is who Jesus already is. We're not waiting for him to come. He's here already. And it's a really exciting, wonderful, and powerful thing. Father, sorry. Amen. Yes, amen, exactly. There we go. Let's, that's right. So we proclaim Jesus' magnificence. That's what this sermon is. And I worship and I praise him for his majesty, for his power and the overwhelming quake of his strength. And I pray that you begin to test his identity and you take a risk on him and begin to experience the, the joy that he has promised will come to us. Father, thank you for this special, special time. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for how you're obviously so active in our lives and you're active here this morning. Boy, you're good. And I'm so glad that, um, that you have sent your son, Jesus. What a great solution to our problems. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.